Jesus, it's packed. Yeah, go down the back there, so. Welcome to the Snog with Richie and Lavin. podcast a podcast from the west coast of ireland where we interview interesting folk from every walk of life um, we talk about their side hustles projects uh loves everything in between uh today we are joined by a musician singer songwriter forager brewer owen higgins how are you doing Owen? how's it going richard not Lovely too to bad. be here not too bad, yeah. It's a fine day to be here as well. Absolutely beautiful, yeah. The Indian summer at yeah. the end of a, a wet summer, let's just say. It. Yeah. June was lovely, July was shocking. <laughs> as a as a farmer, I mean, everyone talks about the weather. The weather is, you know, at the forefront of everyone's mind. But I'm a farmer myself, so it's yeah. serious business, the weather. When it rains in July, <laughs> all July, you know, it's a tough time on the farm, so... Really appreciate this bit of sun in September now. Yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. gorgeous. You're originally from Currandulla, is that right? Yeah, Currandulla is the nearest village there, but yeah, Argenian, Clare Galway, County Galway. Yeah, it's out in the sticks, in between Headford Tum and Clare Galway. There's a small village there, Currandulla village. I live on a lovely little farm out there. Nice. And is it a is it a sheep farm or what yeah, is it? Yeah, livestock, sheep and cattle. Dad has um, every year since I was a young boy. Um, we breed lambs mainly. Oh, okay. that was the thing. Now, since Dad got older, he got out of it. Uh, we don't breed lambs anymore. We just buy them in young and finish them off, so they just graze for the summer, basically, yeah, in the yeah. fields. But yeah, I grew up lamb and sheep, basically, birth birthing lambs into this world. Um, yeah, traditional livestock, cattle and sheep. Basically. Yeah, yeah, hard work. Hard work, man. There's no no getting away from it. Growing yeah. up on a farm, yeah, but it was good for me. Now. My father worked a lot more than I did. Do you know, I had a very privileged, cushy life. I was given everything. But still, growing up on a farm, you, d- you don't avoid it. Like, yeah. You know? And is that, that where your parents were from originally? Uh, well, dad's, dad's home house there. Mam was from Barna. Okay. And yeah, so that was, dad built a house beside his parents' house, basically yeah. inherited the farm. And, yeah, yeah. stayed there. Yeah, yeah. Lovely, you, lovely spot. Yeah. And um, so you were saying there about the, the bad summer. So... Is he cutting silage now, or we're all finished? You're all finished already. We have all our silage well cut, yeah. And you see lads doing a second cut now, but uh, we kind of like Dad likes to be ahead of the game. Yeah, he likes (laughs) to kind of get it all out of the way so he can spend the last few weeks of the summer golfing and doing stuff he likes to do. So yeah, fortunately we got all the silage out of the way and shifted up back home in the yard early enough. Yeah, and then we went to try and save hay there in July, and. uh, yeah, it was going well for the first two or three days and then the rain came and then we had wet hay out in the field and there was just three, four days where um, there wasn't much, many words said around the house. Like just, <laughs> just, a lot, just a lot of staring and like gloom. No, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad, but we, it's safe to say we, we had to wrap up our hay this year. Yeah. I ended up writing a song about it as well just because there was, there was something there for me. Yeah. Um, hay not being saved and it's all like, what, what can you do? Like, you know, you can't control the weather. Yeah. So, it applied to many other stuff, you know. And uh, he's a farmer. I don't know. I don't know his age. He's probably a farmer. Thirty years. Yes, he's fa- he's sixty three years of age. He's farmed since he was a young boy. Like, yeah, he grew up on a farm. And so. has has he seen a big change? Like you know, with the way, oh, the, way the world have. has gone yeah, now, yeah. with a lot of has he seen? Is there a different kind of summer than it used to be? Because that's interesting. You'd have to talk to him now. But I would say, 
from from what he would say is like that the season has shifted a little bit. Okay. So maybe spring might start a bit later and yeah. summer extends on a bit later and okay. autumn comes in a bit later. That's what I think he would say. He often says that summers were better when he was a kid. Yeah. Now maybe that's just pure nostalgia. <laughs> I think everybody says that. Yeah. Do you know? But um, in terms of changes in farming then, probably. Yeah. But I mean, a track, my, my grandfather would have seen a lot more changes. Do you know? Um, my grandfather would have plowed with a horse and a plow, but my, yeah, grand, yeah. my dad d- didn't. He yeah. always had a tractor. So <laughs> he definitely would have seen some changes. Not in the European market, for one sense, in, in how you actually, you know, what you do with your final product. Do you know, back when granddad, when he had a cattle to sell, like he would just sell it to a neighbor at the farm, at the mart or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's a whole different story now of, of going to a slaughterhouse with your livestock and there's these middlemen who control the price and it's just all gone very business-like. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really bad. Like so. Globalization. Yeah, farming is absolutely fucked. It really is. But uh, there's, there's kind of this new wave of going against the grain that's happening now as well. So hopefully when me and my brother, we, we kind of, one of us will inherit the farm and we'll work together, I guess. Um... Well, I don't think we'll, like, adhere to any game. Although they do make it hard. Yeah. They incentivize you to play the game and to do what you're told. So they'll give you grants. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, fuck that. Like, yeah. you know, if you, you don't have to sell your stuff. If you, can, if you can know how to preserve your own food that you're making on your farm and give it to the, your neighbors and maybe sell it small scale like that, that's technically illegal. But is it that's technically illegal oh yeah. really yeah. yeah if you were to slaughter so it's contraband what you gave me there now oh it is yeah, yeah, yeah. it is although that's forage food actually so um, that's, so that comes that's okay. under a different umbrella I then. guess so yeah yeah. And I'm not selling it it was a gift <laughs> yeah yeah gift. yeah so you can write that off for tax purposes so, yeah. or whatever I don't know where I was going there but yeah um, dad would have definitely seen a lot of changes and um, I don't know he's, he's, he's retiring now kind of he's 63 he he works a factory as well, so he's been thirty years working in Thermo King in Goa City. Double job in it. Yeah, that, so th- that's that's fairly common though, isn't it? Well, like, sure, there yeah. you go. That doesn't that say it? Like you won't be able to support a family on a farm alone. Like mm. so, her dad knew that when he was twenty five, twenty six, wanted to have a family, so he had to work in a factory, and he's done that for thirty three years. Yeah. Um, so he gets up at half five, goes to work, comes home at three o'clock, goes out farming for another three four hours. He's done that for for my whole life, you know. So. And it's insane like yeah and is it the only yourself and your brother in it uh my older brother and even older sister there's three yeah. of us yeah i'm the youngest and it, you're saying there about um inheriting the farm one yeah. day would you ever think of like diversifying into like you know hemp or something like that absolutely absolutely anything like that like hemp's an amazing material yeah but uh there's a lot of legislation now if you want to grow hemp you can't grow it by a roadside and uh, you probably need a license as well to oh, do it okay. yeah um no, there's different types. Is it hemp for the fabric or is it hemp for CBD oil pressing? You know, you can make concrete out of it. You can. Don't you? People yeah. make a building block, and yeah. it's there's only advantages for this block. Yeah, yeah. Now it's probably very expensive to buy because yeah. it's so good, but like it's fire resistant. It's super light. You know, I've only heard amazing things about hemp. Yeah. What is there's a name for it? Hempcrete or something. Hempcrete. Like yeah. Something like that. Some clever name. I love that. Yeah, Some, yeah. Something like that against something against the grain. Not just cattle and sheep, or Ireland is basically one big dairy farm now. Like you yeah. know, so no, nah, there's no, 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 there's no space for that anymore. It's just so you were you were talking about. So you you just so 
we'll probably get on to on the food side of things first. Great, so really, cool. so with your um, you're big into your foraging and your pr- preservation oh, yeah. and stuff like that. So how did you get interested in that first? Well, I worked on an organic farm, Green Earth Organics in Carindola. I worked there for five years, and as part of the food industry, there's always waste. There's always a vegetable, a red pepper that has a mark on it that won't go for sale. And especially in organics because... Oh, really? Especially, even more so in organics because... You think it'll be the other way around? Well, first of all, like, so the the apple isn't going to be sprayed with whatever uh, fungicide. So it's going to last longer. The mold isn't going to get to it so quickly. And also, people are paying a premium for the organic product. Yeah. So if they see an apple with a bruise in it, they're like, I just paid like through the tea through the roof like literally four or five times more for this apple and it's it's got a bruise on it yeah so they'd be ringing down the ladies in the really, office yeah? so really yeah so we we were stri- very stringent of like that's a mark that's waste yeah that doesn't go for sale but the staff then would reap the benefit so the pay mightn't have been so great but you did get the benefit of delicious organic food like you know yeah. that could have been worth two or three euros an hour extra yeah, and for yeah. me i love that yeah so you'd see boxes of red peppers or boxes of apples that are just bruised and just have a mark in them are perfect and they'd be going to the waste in the bin and people can only eat so much fresh and I would take the leftover spare after everyone has taken what they want and I'd preserve them. So I saw one lady, she was Lithuanian, she would make pickles because, you know, in Lithuania there's a great culture of preserving food and their yeah, grand- yeah. grandparents would have done it and their mothers would have done it and that was lost in Ireland, like, really. Uh, so I saw her doing it I asked her she's like just 2% salt literally <laughs> that's all she told me and then I went up and went home chopped up a load of red peppers put them in a 2% salt solution left them for a couple of weeks and I checked them and I opened them up and they were like all fizzy and carbonated oh, and just fermenting yeah. and I was it was just incredible and they, I, they, they last for years you know it's preserved in bacteria lovely sour pickles amazing and jam as well. Jam's just super easy. It's just sugar and fruit and you just cook it. And the sterilization comes from boiling and you'll have fruit all through the winter. So It is mad. Yeah. Eastern Europeans know how to do it right. Like you, I used to live down in Clare and uh, we used to live in this place between uh, Meadick and Cratlow. And there's Cratlow Woods there. And you'd yeah. see families of people you know over from Poland or whatever and they'd have the bucket in one hand and they'd have the beer in the other and then they're gone foraging or whatever and you know they'd be gone out the train tracks where we used to live yeah. and they'd be out there loads of them picking blackberries and stuff That's like it. that stuff probably that happened in yeah. Ireland for sure mm-hmm. for sure uh, yeah Polish are great for picking mushrooms um, I was in I was pick. I love picking mushrooms and now's the season if you're so now is the, the time for, sh- for chanterelles now for edible mushrooms we're not talking about psychedelic mushrooms here yeah. at all these are dinner mushrooms chanterelles hedgehogs porcini mushrooms now is the season if you have a nice woodland nearby uh, that's preferably unmaintained and got some native trees like birch or alder or oaks yeah none of these brand new quilchek wheelchair yeah, yeah none of these just really horrible insidious looking pine forests um and old woodland is going to be rife with beautiful mushrooms now at the moment so go for a walk in the woods if you see a golden mushroom looking up at you it's more than likely a chanterelle <laughs> but be careful take we it can. home and do a bit of research yeah, before yeah, you eat yeah. it but uh it's great fun yeah and that's where you you grab that stuff that uh you you brought out yeah i brought a few chanterelles for you there that i got in drover woods out nuke the Rard maybe two days ago oh lovely yeah yeah i hope you like mushrooms i just assume, oh yeah i just love assume them. love them you know um 
so yeah and the Polish that where we're getting on <laughs> the Polish are great uh, they were great for uh, porcini mushrooms uh, seps or penny buns they absolutely love those mushrooms I, I was in the woods last year and I was picking chanterelles away and these two Polish I hear like there's no one out in these woods and yeah. I hear footsteps and I'm like oh who's that and these two Polish lads like froze as if they were up to no good <laughs> like because they were caught or something I was like oh you're just after mushrooms and I brought them up to where I was getting chanterelles but they had no interest in these chanterelles they were yeah. after these porcini mushrooms and they showed me what they looked like and I learned from them and yeah it was really cool but it is strange like how how the Polish people or just that culture would cultivate that kind of a thing towards going out and foraging your own dinner whereas in Ireland that kind of seems a bit mad if I say I'm going picking mushrooms everyone just assumes I'm going getting liberty yeah, yeah, and yeah. going off tripping like a mad yeah, fool yeah, yeah, yeah. you know so I suppose maybe they had to keep that kind of um, side of their lifestyle alive maybe under communism yeah. and stuff they kind of had to find those I wonder I wonder I mean it's just such an amazing thing like it's so much fun going off and picking your own food and going cooking it that evening and eating it yeah. it's the most satisfying thing ever whether it be catching a fish and eating it or picking a mushroom and eating it or picking a few leaves for a salad and eating it it's the best yeah. and that wild food to quote Peter Broderick's famous song it's like it's the best food like this food is just growing wild it's not it hasn't been cultivated it hasn't been put there it's just there by its own accord and by like survival of the fittest kind of a thing yeah, in, yeah. in the plant and fungus kingdom yeah we were down at the pier just down the road there but last Thursday the lads went down caught a few pollock there's good fishing off there is there yeah it's good to it's know. not too bad and um, sure we just went up to the local pub and just asked if we they could cooked it up yeah. cooked it up no no we cooked it ourselves we had like a barbecue oh, at the no back way. that was just like two pints load of fish Savage. class pollock, pollock's good fish yeah I was try- I was fishing there in Spiddle oh was it yesterday it was yesterday morning and yeah didn't catch a thing one tiny pollock and I had to throw him back that's the way it is yeah goes like that sometimes and even just for your for your own father's land yeah would there be no um i know they probably don't have it now but would you would there be any incentive for you to like plant native woodland or anything like that oh i intend i intend to yeah at some stage to plant trees there but the land is fairly good you know like um usually in agriculture you'd, you'd plant trees in a field that's kind of wet and marshy and not really good for anything else. You yeah. know, you'd, you'd put trees there. Now, our land is beautiful. Flat, pristine land. Like, the right side of the Corrib, as I say. Um, but, like, we cut down trees, or trees fall with the storm. So, as we do that, I'd like to just plant them randomly. Yeah, you yeah. know, not, like, just set a field and, and put trees there. That would be a bit of a waste of our land, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely intend to plant birch trees and, and oaks just think they're so beautiful and birch trees have sap as well that in time that you can put a little tap in there drill a hole and you can basically drink the sap it's like the most wow. fresh liquid ever wow. and the people um old irish people used to do this going back hundreds of years they would tap birch trees and boil it down into a syrup and then dilute that syrup back into water and ferment it into like a mead a birch mead oh, okay. yeah like a wine so you you, you you're you're doing the uh, preservation and yeah. our preserves and all that kind yeah. of stuff yeah. but uh did you start brewing your your wine and your beer and your mead uh, while you were working in that? Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just circumstance and having an interest. You know, I always was fascinated by that stuff. Yeah. And there was a fellow working on the farm, John Smith, who was a 
a brewmaster. Literally, that's like he was qualified as a brewmaster. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he'd worked with Galway Bay in Oranmore for a while and didn't like the whole corporate model of brewing. So he, he gave me some basic equipment and he knew I was enthusiastic yeah. just about everything. So like a tap or whatever else? Uh, a, basically a bucket with an airlock, a yeah. fermenter. He gave me one of those and he just said, throw something with sugar in there and pitch some <laughs> yeast and see what happens, buddy. Now he was super scientific. He'd, yeah. he'd be talking about percentages and, and gravity and... I'd be there, my head would be spinning. You know? <laughs> so he's like, literally, tell me the simplest method that I could make something that I can enjoy with my friends. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like, right, this is what you need to do. And uh, yeah, once once I started making, once I started seeing a big batch of, what was it? It was mead. The first thing I made was mead. I bought a lot of honey and mixed it with water and added yeast. And when you see it all bubbling up and alive and frothy, it was incredible. It was like I had just given birth, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> and then you drink your own baby months later. So well, that's one way to put it. All right. Yeah, it was. It was cool. Well, w- women eat their own placenta, don't they? They do in the animal kingdom. I that's guess. what Tom Cruise did. Anyway. Yeah, I do it. Um, so, is there a big difficulty uh, jumping from like mead? to like I know you brew your own porter uh yeah beer there's a big difference yeah so one is wine and one is like a beer mead is a is a is a wine made from honey and beer then comes from barley from grains um wine is very simple to make technically beer there's a lot more process in in extracting the sugar from barley to make beer uh a quick rundown beer uh, wine is just like any fruit juice mixed with water and sugar possibly and then just fermented beer you have to have barley it has to go and be malted which is an, another world another years of life to learn how to malt okay but usually you just go to the brew shop and buy malted barley and yeah, start yeah, with yeah. that you know so beer is a far more complicated liquid than than wine and people think like oh beer is drank by like dudes at football matches and stuff and wine is for the real yeah, yeah, posh yeah. people but in reality beer is a far more complex liquid to, to produce there's okay. so much more involved in making beer than there is in making wine so I made a lot of beer over the pandemic where I just had loads of time basically uh, but now I'm kind of getting back into it again so I started making ciders which is like basically just like apples yeah. so it's like so cider is wine but with apples there's shit ton of apples out the back actually if you want to take it uh, I could take a few yeah <laughs> make a few bottles and bring it back to you yeah 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 no worries sounds good so yeah there, there's a big difference there between wine and beer and cider but it's all great it's a great hobby I, if you have any interest in that I'd recommend just buying a real simple grow kit uh, not a grow kit a brew kit or something like that and just trying it and see what you think. There's a lot of work if you're a lazy person, whatever. It's not for you, but yeah. if you're a, if you're if you want to do it, there's nothing going to stop you from doing it. People often say, "Oh yeah, sure, I'd love to make beer, but you know, I just don't have the time." That's that's a load of shit. And people say that about everything, but just go for it. It's so much fun. It's awesome when you get to like pop open a bottle and share something that you made with your mates, and it's always super impressive. They're yeah. like can't believe that you made this wine and it tastes somewhat decent yeah it's not foul anyway like. um so did so where did you go to school i went to well Kern drum primary school just up the road from me and then i went to jarlett's in tune Charlotte's secondary school yeah oh, okay so um did the music start in jarlett's or uh, was it, it would have yeah yeah well i always loved music as a kid just 
whatever my sister and my brother was listening to or was on MTV in the music channels. Yeah, yeah. I just loved it. Do you know? I always thought electric guitars and rock stars were just incredible. And I always loved just listening to music. Uh, I, I probably got guitar lessons when I was in fifth class. So like, what is that a 10-year-old, 11-year-old or something like that? And um, But I didn't practice. I just wanted to be able to play guitar, but I didn't want to practice. So I left that and then I started first year and I met a good friend of mine, Brendan Murray, uh, who went on to, he went on to represent Ireland at the Eurovision a good few years ago. Oh, wow. He had a great career for himself in, in music. He was in Louis Walsh's boy band and all this. And What was yeah, it? Uh, hometown. This is years. They kind of fell apart now and all. And that's a whole different story. But yeah. Brendan's got a, he's, I think he's got a great solo career. He's got a great pop voice. The yeah. Perfect pop voice. Um, so I met him in first year in Jarlitz and Tume. And we liked the same kind of music. And I came over to his house for a sleepover on a weekend. And I saw him playing a few chords on the guitar. And I got so jealous. I was like, there's no way I'm hanging around with this lad. <laughs> if he can play the guitar and I can't, you know, that just wasn't going to happen. So I, I picked up the guitar again. And I just was hours every single day just playing like a maniac, yeah. you know. And that was it then. Had all the teenage angsty bands in secondary school. Uh... I was super open to everything. I bought a bass. We would busk a lot, actually. Me and Brendan, yeah. two lovely looking, two adorable 14-year-olds on Galway Street singing Wagon Wheel and... Down Shop Street. Uh, yeah. We were singing the hits. Like um, We quickly figured out it was like mammies and daddies who were giving us the money. Uh, like, okay. you know, So we would sing Ed Sheeran and all those pop songs at the time. But when we would sing like a Beatles tune or like Neil Diamond or something that like our parents were listening to that's when we really got the crowd like you know so we quickly figured that out saved a lot of money as a teenager and then i bought basses and drum kits and i just got interested in every part yeah you're quite the the one to uh instrumentalist somewhat like i'm like what is it uh jack of all trades master of none that's that describes me quite well uh but i'd say the guitar is the primary like that's the roots the banjo and the fiddle is all for crack bass is just it just comes along with it, yeah. you know. I haven't played drums properly in a long time, but there is a drum kit at the house, yeah. you know. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a drummer because I've played with drummers and there's serious levels, like, you know. So I can hold a rhythm <laughs> sometimes, but I'm not a drummer, no. If you paid me enough money, I'd practice drums to play, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Get a different drummer. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it started in secondary school. I had a great music teacher, Connie Burke in Jarlitz. She was just such a lovely lady and she just couldn't encourage us to play music enough. So a person like that really can just give you a boost. Yeah. Push you on, you know. And I suppose you have people like uh, the Saw Doctors and stuff. And she oh, yeah. To sure. look look, up that's to. iconic. And did you know Echo Hart and stuff? Yeah, he was, he was a few years ahead of me in school. I wouldn't I would have known him ca- like casually. Yeah. Like, I don't think now he'd recognize me at all, but I'd recognize him because he was older than me. Yeah, yeah. So he was two years older than me and not many kids play music in in that school. Yeah. So all the music kids would end up doing it's stuff. football, is it? Yeah, it's a football school. Exactly. But there was a concert every year from the music kids. So I remember playing with him uh, in like some cover of, oh, I don't know, some pop song at the time. I think it was like Sweet Disposition. Do you remember that song? Yeah, yeah. I think we played that. But I wouldn't, yeah, I would have known him. But I don't think now I, I, he'd recognize me on the street. Yeah, but if yeah. I, I'd stop him and say, look, remember I was in Gerald's. His sister was in my class, actually. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw he was, I was actually listening to his podcast, Richie, today as well. It was nice. It was nice to hear him. 
Nice yeah. to hear he's still at it because he was so enthusiastic about it. Yeah, he's off in Nashville at the moment. Or no something. way. Oh, I think so. There yeah. you go. Like that's class. Um. So, toward you stuck with the music for a while, and then, then you kind of dipped your toe into MMA for that's it. for a time. Well, I yeah. Was that in? Were you still in secondary school? No, at that time? I literally I did my leave insert and I started MMA's beginners course like a couple of weeks after. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I had no aspirations to to play music i was only kind of playing music for the crack at home for, yeah yeah played in a few bands they kind of felt felt to shot we were sure like kind of half arse bands just to be drinking pints i don't know sure being, yeah. Yeah, we were teenagers yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and i was just wrong with that I, I didn't have a car and i was asking my older brother and my dad to be lugging a drum kit around just what couldn't work yeah um so then i was like right okay park that all that stuff aside i would always play music at home just for the crack like mad electric music at home and then uh, my cousin like me and my older brother we'd knock lumps out of each other just having an older brother that's how yeah. it goes and we all like there was UFC video games that we loved to play and I don't know it's just two lads love fighting it's such a male <laughs> so such a brutal it's a very thing. tuned thing isn't yeah. it yeah exactly so um, our cousin we knew our cousin did a bit of MMA and uh, my brother saw that there was an ad for a beginner's course in Strange Wolves in, uh, in the Clada there Oh, is that where that's based? Is it in the Clatter? Yeah, Craven House Judo Hall. Uh, I don't know if it's still there now because there was talks of being, that being sold, but I haven't been there for a long time now. But uh, anyway, so we started a beginners course there, and again, I, I have quite an obsessive personality, and me and my brother just got absolutely hooked. Like, just we just saw the vibe. Everyone was so chill and so relaxed while strangling each other <laughs> to death. Like, and it was just incredible. Um, so yeah, me and my brother got hooked. Then training ridiculous amounts of time, like five, six days a week, sometimes twice a week. Uh, we started taking it super seriously. Started from jujitsu to doing full MMA and taking MMA fights. And when you're in it at that level, and it's just amateur, it's yeah. it wasn't pro. I had aspirations to be pro, but uh, when you're in it at that level, it kind of doesn't leave room for anything else. Like it determines your diet. You're not like you're not going out like I wasn't out Friday nights because I was sparring Saturday mornings yeah. you know uh, it really does dictate everything so it requires so much discipline to, to do MMA like that competitively to take fights it's different now if you're just training casually yeah that's kind of what the stage I'd like to get back to I'll never take a fight again but I'd love to just go back and see the lads for the crack so where were you training it's, it's a place out of Rye. yeah that's, that's where that's where my home club would be Conryuk uh, Roy. Kevin Moran has a gym out there he would have started with the Strange Wolves that's where I, I started in there Finney Connolly and Kevin Moran they had a great club and it was a great crew but Kev wanted to start his own own group and he's from Athenry so so he started out there and it was more competition based so anyone who kind of wanted to take fights they would go there Okay, that's kind of how it was there was a bit of a split it was a bit weird for a while but I think I think it's it's called good because there's what there's what the Shaolin the MMA. Shaolin MMA you have Point Blank which is just a Jiu Jitsu gym now I think okay. um, there's a few kickboxing gyms that maybe do a bit of MMA yeah, inside yeah. I'm not sure but I'm kind of out of that world now in Galway but if you want to go do MMA go to Athenry K-Fit Kevin Moran's hilarious that's the man that's yeah, the man that's it and how um, so when you say so I know, I know you fought some fights for um, that Clan Wars promotion. Clan Wars, yeah, yeah. That's that's amateur. Is that's it? amateur, yeah. So how how does one uh, take a step up to professional in Ireland? You just you just 
you have to pay, pay any, for a license or, no, or no any, any fool can t- actually <laughs> take a fight if you know the right people but usually it's the coaches who are organizing all this stuff and the community is good enough where they don't let any bum just so go in and take just go a pro fight yeah get the head kicked off yeah no there has been stories of lads kind of being you know they they want to be like i want to be the next conor mcgregor yeah. and they just come into the gym and they want to fight the next week and you know it's not the coach isn't going to say no uh he's paying his money here yeah, so yeah, if he yeah. keeps paying his money here we'll let him do that but i was lucky enough to find a gym where the lads weren't like that they were very <laughs> very clever about it and i i didn't take an amateur fight until i had like over 20 novice matches which are like they're like a load of different MMA clubs will meet up in an MMA club and okay. will match you up with you. you yeah, you've yeah, been yeah. training the same amount of time as him. Ye lads are about the same age. Everyone's the same weight. So they're called novice or inter interclub matches. Okay. Uh, they were really good for like just meeting the whole community in Ireland and kind of testing yourself, seeing if you were able to take a fight, seeing if you liked it, you know, because it's definitely not for everyone. It's, most terrifying thing I've ever done is to take a fight. Um, you took a few as well. Uh, yeah, I had loads of those novice n- novice fights, and I thought nothing of it. But there was a different gravy when you're stepping into a cage. No, it's just amateur, and anyone who's doing pro, they might think, ah, oh, they're just amateur fights. But for me, anyway, I was the great overthinker. Like I would get so worked up and so stressed out about these fights, you know, that it was wasn't doing me any good. You yeah, know? I was just wasn't enjoying it like yeah. you know i really wasn't enjoying the stress of the fight um so i had four amateur fights i lost two and won two so i was like okay that's that's, that's a good record yeah straight down the middle there <laughs> i kind of i kind of you know won two and lost two i was happy with that and uh were you working in the farm the green farm yep, just working on the farm training Sorry. at night yeah green earth organics yeah and then the the green earth farm then uh did that overlap with the MMA as well or had you moved on at that no, stage? No, no, no. They overlapped, yeah. The Green Earth Organics totally allowed me to just train MMA full time, basically. So I'd work, I'd work, you know, eight hours in the morning. I'd be in the gym for three, four hours in the evening. That was five days a week. And then on Saturday mornings, we were sparring. Sundays were off. But if you wanted, if you were mad enough, you could turn up on a Sunday for a few casual, whatever, talk yeah. shite and just mess around a bit of drilling. So yeah, there was an overlap. I was working and doing MMA full time with aspirations of maybe going pro at some stage. Now they were very, that didn't last for long. I kind of, kind of, kind of knew that I was like, right, I'm not cut out for this. Really, yeah. like uh, my brother handled competition very well. He kind of just thought less about it, and he could just block out whatever it was going through his head. But uh, I whatever it was i just really overthought it way too much you yeah. know and it just wasn't doing me any good i suppose if, if you stop enjoying it like you know there you go it was as simple as that i just yeah. didn't like comp- competing anymore yeah. and i'd done it it was so proud to have done it because many people would train mma or jiu-jitsu and never take a fight so i'm i it stands to me i think i'm yeah. very proud of of that and uh you gain a lot of your in personality and like confidence as a person when you when you when you're getting beaten up every single day, like, you know. You, Make you humble. There, there's some something you gain from it anyway. Yeah. 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 People say I'm kind of confident when they meet me or like a cocky bastard or whatever. Peter always cuts me down and says that. But uh, it come, it doesn't come from nowhere, do you know. Young, cocky Irish lad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm proud. I'm proud of it. <laughs> Not totally arrogant. I'm somewhat self-aware anyway. <laughs> I'd like to think. So, um, yeah. 
you started taking music a bit more seriously okay. when you met the man himself yeah so the big C the big covers came down and nothing changed for me I mean I was actually supposed to I was supposed to fight um, on the Saturday and I think the country shuts down on a Thursday was it the 17th of March I'm not sure but it was two, da- two days before I was supposed to fight the country got shut down and my fight got cancelled I was on weight so obviously you, you do weight cutting for MMA you do yeah, dieting yeah. for weeks up you're you're on a low plane of nutrition and now how how severe even on an amateur level is it to cut your weight is Pe- it, is people it? go crazy I didn't yeah. I didn't fortunately I didn't have to do too but much it's a severe process it is it? but you're, yeah. you're watching you're dieting like for four yeah. or five six weeks depending on how much weight you had to lose so I'd fight at 66 my first two were 66 kilos I had a bit of weight to lose for that because I'm naturally around 74 or 75 that's a lot. That's a lot that of weight. That is for, a lot yeah, for weight, your first yeah. fight. That was a lot, but I learned it's like right. I can't do this, so I started fighting at seventy kilos, which was much better. And that's that was like six weeks of uh, what, what calorific deficit diet. Okay. So I'd be weighing out my food every morning and making sure that my calories don't go over like two thousand three hundred. Absolutely wreck your head. Like this will drive you crazy. Yeah. And it it will also make you develop like a complex towards food (laughs) that's not not good. Not healthy, yeah. I I yeah, it's definitely it's the worst part of MMA is the whole weight weight cutting and weight management. Um and I love to eat, I love my food. I hate having to you just look at a plate of like potatoes and meat and veg and you're like, Jesus, I could eat twice this. (laughs) You don't think about it. So yeah. COVID came down my fight got cancelled and right so whatever I wasn't fighting so let's go get a supermax or something <laughs> straight away um, yeah and a couple of weeks go by and then I'm just nothing's happening I'm just chilling out the, the whole world seems to be falling apart but my job was still going yeah because it was the delivery service of food and that industry started booming at the time so no one was going to the shops but this this farm was doing deliveries so we were busier than ever in the COVID. So just like a box of age delivered to exactly. a person's house. That's it? exactly it. And loads of people, there was more business than ever. So um, yeah, I was busier. Nothing ever changed. I still went to work in the morning. And yeah, obviously you weren't going to the pub, weren't doing anything. There was mm. no, there wasn't any MMA, no jiu-jitsu. No one was having contact like that. Um, so yeah, a few months go by, I guess. And then Peter Broderick rocks, rocks up to the farm and i didn't know who he was he was just some american lad who started working here he said he was a musician and uh he couldn't get he couldn't get gigs because he supported his whole life playing gigs and now yeah. the whole world has stopped so he had to get a normal job and this was only one of the only places open and still going at the time so he was coming out from spiddle to Carindulla, which is like 40 45 minute drive maybe an hour depending on traffic yeah you know to it's come out spin, right. and work yeah that's a good spin he was coming out to Kerndola to my place of work and he, we would talk. We were just, me and him just clicked and a couple other buddies. We were just, we had a lovely crew of, of mates and we'd go and have our tea breaks together. And the crack, um, the shy talking we would be having on those breaks were hilarious. Like just random workplace lads chatting. Like it's just some of the most beautiful thing ever. I don't know. And me and Peter kind of hit it off really well because we were both into uh, foraging, him more so than me at that stage. But I was super enthusiastic about it. I thought it was awesome. And he thought it was really cool how I had an interest in making mead mm. and making jam and pickles and fermentation. So we were just two 
super like-minded people who who just clicked like that and he he knew i played a bit of music casually because we had talked about it but i didn't know how serious his music career was he was just another just another dude to me yeah and uh I would probably would have slagged him loads the first day I met him. <laughs> oh, you're a musician. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but think about it. He's coming into my place of work and all this, you know, there's all this hazing that goes on, which is horrible looking back now. But To, to maybe paint a picture of him, um, he's from the, the States originally. He, yeah, he? he's from Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Uh, um, and he moved over to Europe when he was 20 to play music with a band called After Clang. They're great, actually. Incredible. Yeah. Like, bizarre, really, like, enthusiastic, like, out there music i don't know how to describe it i don't know i don't know what category to put that in either but it's go check out after Klein. um and yeah ever since he was 20 he supported himself by playing music uh so that's probably like 16 years now and he's yeah. got an amazing solo career uh from ambient music to folk music to whatever you know yeah to say that he's prolific is probably putting it um absolutely like, yeah. yeah his body of work is yeah. super impressive I, I i i wouldn't say i know half of his music as well as I know him now at this stage, you know, every anytime we're playing at a session, he pulls out a song. He's like, "Oh, I wrote this song like ten years ago." <laughs> and it's awesome. Shut yeah. up, Peter. Yeah, exactly. Oh, not again. But um, great fella. He's just such a lovely, lovely fella, and he saw something in me, I guess. Um, well, there was something that happened in between. Like my mom was sick; she had cancer for years. Oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, and she passed away then. Uh, in that time during covid yeah she passed away that would have been may 21 wasn't it yeah may 21 and yeah. um i was off work then for a few weeks or maybe a month or two at that stage and peter was getting a tour going his his agent was booking some shows in the uk and peter got the idea of putting a band together and he asked me called me up one day wondering if wondering if i would like to play bass for him and like my jaw dropped and I instantly said yes and like visions of like teenage dreams of touring <laughs> around the world had just <laughs> flown into my head and now this opportunity had just dropped right on into my lap and from that then me and another lad from Liv- well he's from Antrim but he lives in Liverpool Paddy Blaney he just messaged Peter out of the blue if you're looking for a drummer in the UK I, I, I have a van bang just some random off yeah. the cuff message from Instagram and Peter was like I've got a tour coming up I need a van so we all we all uh, met up in the house in Spiddle, rehearsed a couple of tunes for maybe a week or two. Had a great time just hanging out, and then we went off on tour. And where'd you where'd you tour? Uh we had a few shows in Ireland. We played in Connolly's down in West Cork. Uh, oh, Connolly's a leap. Yeah, Lep. Yeah. Or oh, Lep is that how? You I think it's Lep. They say Lep down there. <laughs> yeah, I was down there. Get it right Two though. weeks ago, it's definitely Lep. It's quite the uh, it's quite the spot actually. Oh, it's an iconic place. Yeah, Connolly's Sam Sam McNichol. Shout out, he's got a great, great thing going down there. Um, yeah, we played there. We were up in Belfast, the Ulster Sports Hall. Where else were we? We were in Kerry for Tralee, some some church in Tralee. We were oh, supposed nice. to play some garden centre that fell through, so we played in a church, which was pretty cool. Uh, so we had three shows in Ireland, and then we went to the UK. We played in London. We played in... Leicester, Leeds, Manchester, Liverpool. There might be another city or two. Yeah, yeah. yeah we had about nine or ten shows basically yeah. in the UK and Ireland. Uh, over like that ten, must have been an ten amazing of eleven days. 
it was incredible like worlds from, apart from Carindula. come on like yeah here was this bogger from from some farmer from Carindula there up on stage in the jazz cafe in london in front of like 400 people <laughs> and they, you know i just go up to the mic and was like how are you lads <laughs> and the crowd started dying laughing you know i was such a novelty to them as well yeah, yeah. and i was just soaking it up it was just incredible and uh yeah when we got back from that tour things kind of settled down a bit and there's there's like this after tour blues where you're like how do we get that again like this is just another tour for peter but it was my first exposure to professional music and once i had earned that bit of money playing music nothing would ever compete and i knew from that moment that i was like okay this is what i want to do if i can if i can sustain myself as a single person with no responsibilities all i have to do is put petrol in my car yeah basically uh it's definitely achievable for me to support my life for a while by playing music and what were you playing when you were on tour with bass. The bass? Yeah, I was playing bass for him and, and vocals. Um, so that was no bother. And it was just the most fun ever. And then his his partner, uh, Bridgie, at, a partner at the time, Bridgie, she had another tour coming up a couple of months later. And well, that's uh, Bridget May Bridget Power. Power. Yeah. And she, so, she's great in her own right. She's incredible. Yeah. Like, she's got such a... I don't know how to describe her she, voice. She, she's Irish with a name like that, she's, is she? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's from Galway, but she... Is she from Galway? Yeah, she's yeah. lived in London for a lot of time. Her dad is, is like, from Waterford, but lives in London. She's got family in London as well. Her mom lives in Galway. I thought she was from Kerry. For she's been all over the place, but I think she would say she's a Galway head. Yeah. Yeah, and she's living in, in Knocknacarra now with Sean. Oh, okay. And um, her mom is there in, in, in on Taylor's Hill. Oh, okay. And she's just... Oh, she's just so sweet like and she was so nice to me as well like me and peter were best buddies but she also embraced me as well and yeah. brought me into the, her band which i really appreciated because you know me and peter were best buddies but like i wasn't necessarily her best friend i would be su- we would have great co- chats and conversations but she felt happy enough to bring me on her own tour yeah oh wow yeah so we went on tour then the three of us all around england i think i don't know if we had shows in ireland i think we went straight to england and played shows in Wales and whatever, London and all those mad English cities. <laughs> so that was that was quite the experience for me. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but looking back at it now, because I'm I'm on my own now, trying to make my own name in it. It's kind of a bit strange jumping into the deep end when you're starting off, because now there's like now I'm playing these smaller gigs and they're like not as satisfying as like playing the jazz cafe, which is like. It's something to struggle with. Like it's, I'm complaining about that, but it's, it is something that is kind of wrecking at my head a bit. You have to pay your dues now. Of course, like yeah, yeah you kind of have to earn your own way because I can't be getting everything off Peter's plate. Like you know, I get enough from him. Yeah, I kind of have to cut my own teeth. But sure, like you know, there's plenty of artists out there, like you know, that um, you know, played to crowds of two or three for years Absolutely. and stuff like that. You know, it was a Jeff Buckley used to play and it would be just right. be like two or three of them in the crowd and stuff yep. like that. No one's listening to him, so, you know. It's tough. It's definitely tough. Uh, I was just down in West Cork. Me and Peter had some some shows down there. And uh, in Ahakista, Arundel's by the pier. Katrina Kane runs a beautiful show down there. And the crowd there were just so enthusiastic. Oh, great. Like, for me, as a performer, when the crowd are that energetic it's just like makes your work so much easier they anything i would have played they were like yes give us more <laughs> they were just so awesome um so that that for me makes it really easy and then you could play a gig where the crowd are like stiff and dead and you can hear crickets 
and it's just harder work and you feel like it's all crumbling in front of you um so that's something i'm struggling with do you know depends on the venue doesn't it, it does and but and often often you might feel that you played a really bad gig and that the crowd was dead but someone comes up to you and is like man i love that like you know but even if you if you, know? you pay money into um a gig or whatever and you're yeah. going to see an established act and there's always people there fucking talking. That's so and true. It was just like, would you ever yeah. shut the fuck up? Yeah. Like, you know, you're only here to hear, they're probably only there to hear one or two songs. Yeah, the end it's or true. Whatever. It was like, Jesus Christ. Does my head in like. Yeah. Or even like you would, we went to see some of the, um, wasn't it last year, maybe the year before. Um, some, uh, Jesus, who was it? James Vincent McMurrow, I think. And we seen him, we seen him in the big top and then we seen him up in Dublin somewhere. And like, you know, some of them songs are quite They're slow songs or lo-fi, yeah. kind of intimate. And then you can just hear this murmur of chatter. Yes. There's no place for that. Not not for folk music or like this when it's when it's not a rocking band who are just yeah. drowning out everything. Like some people are coming to the show to be quiet and to listen. And then other people are just coming to drink pints, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Or they're just tagging along because they got a ticket. Yeah. That's all out of your control as a performer. The crowd are going to be the crowd, and I like it's about learning to just be like a rock, just be super strong, and be very confident in the music that you're playing, and to just bust it out. Whether there's ten, twenty, three hundred people there, it should be the same energy, same performance, more or less. Yeah, you have to know your crowd and kind of judge them a bit. But so, when did you record the EP? Recorded the EP back in what was it? I think it was. November I think last year yeah I think it was November I think and then it was released in February we recorded it over four or five days me and Peter Peter had been like just egging me on saying like look let's just record some of these songs for the crack just for posterity and he really wanted to produce it because we knew we'd just have loads of fun in the studio together just adding little bits of whatever and I knew straight away that I wanted him to do everything to do everything with him as well you know so um, we had a free house the two of us for I think four or five days we just had an empty house and we just rocked out started off with one song and then he said let's do another and we just kept going and it ended up being five five very different songs um, yeah it's quite musically diverse yeah it touches on, on a different genre there like you know um, that's something I'm, I'm still trying to establish a style if I ever will have a style or anything like this I don't know but um, that EP it's definitely touching on a lot of bases there's some there's one very dramatic airy piano piece at the end but there's also like a blood and guts blues rock song that has a weird drum track beat going through it you know so would you say that's uh blues for the working man is it yeah that's that song yeah that's, would you say that's an ode to your father it is it is it's also about working a shite job a <laughs> job that you don't like but there's definitely some verses about directly about dad yeah some quotes that my father would have said 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 to me like you can only play the cards you're dealt which is a great line it's like you know you can only um don't be worrying about what's out of your control or you know you can only play with what you've got yeah i love that kind of stuff it's full of euphemisms us irish farmers were full of like these one-liners <laughs> and like you know oh the man that wet it'll dry it all this stuff well but, i haven't heard that one before that's a good one yeah that's a good the man who the man that it's it so this it, this is actually a lyric in in one of my new songs um, my dad would always say this when we're making hay and if it rains on the hay he say the man that wet it will dry it talking about like don't be worrying about the weather because okay. God will dry it I guess yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know 
Some some old man in the village used to say that, I think. So it's a homage to old old people. It's definitely uh, a body of work. I know you're only starting off, but as yeah. a first EP, it's something you should be proud of. That's great to hear because they're some of they're some of the first songs I ever wrote. You know, I never wrote a song until sometime last year, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe midsummer last year. I always I always had wanted to be a musician, but didn't have the confidence to write a song for the fear of what people might think. Yeah, how silly that sounds, I know, but it's it's a real thing. Like you know, am I pouring my heart out here about heartbreak in a song, and I don't want to tell everyone about that. So I struggled with that for years. Like ever since I was a teenager, I never probably did write a few songs and just be like burnt them or ripped them yeah, up, yeah. never to see them ever again. You know. Which was awful, but there you go. That's how it was. I suppose to put your outs- uh, yourself out there in any kind of creative pursuit is terrifying. Uh, is, uh, oh, t- it's, it is terrifying. And like, the way people, uh, especially in the, in the the modern age, people just you know, you've got your keyboard warriors. It's so like, easy to just pass a comment. Yeah. You're shite. Yeah, you're shite. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> shite, man. You, know, you go back and forth. But even say even the 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 first tra- track um, when the times were harder. Yeah. Very. Um, kind of um, early villagers can be, give me the vibe of wow that. no way yeah. what a big compliment shout out to Conor O'Brien he's fucking great he's a lovely fella yeah that's a that's a nice sweet song I, I, I still love to play that song I, I like to open up my set with it um, yeah like I, I don't know it's hard to say what that song is about but I mean there is an idea of like I mean I didn't have a hard life in comparison to the hard lives that exist in this world I lived a very cushy privileged life but in my, I've had my own troubles. You know, my mom was sick for years and yeah. everyone's got their own battles. Everyone remembers when the times were a little harder, to, to quote myself. Whether that be when you, uh, your parents who remember like what it was like not having electricity or a fucking toilet in the house. Or if it's you remembering when life was a bit harder and you appreciate to the moment where you are now. I think that's kind of what I meant by that song. But uh, it's a sweet little kind of folk song and it breaks into a mad like play out at the end yeah the so. breakdown yeah yeah it's just what i don't know it's it, it's cool i like to start my set with it because it starts off nice and sweet but then it opens into something more exciting and fun and i like to do that with most of my sets when i'm playing music um so and yeah. um a friend of yours well i presume she's a friend of yours uh lana ariel did the, oh, the cover art for lana ariel Oh, she's my best friend. Herself and Eddie, they're my neighbours. They both live in Carandola. Oh, do they? Yeah. So I'm in their house <laughs> most time during the week. We're just playing music and having the crack. Yeah, Lana's an incredible artist. Lana Ariel, Witch of Paintings on Instagram. You should go check her out. Give is her a is she part of the um, West End collective? She is, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, um, I don't know, she's part of it. She, she, she used to have a key and she, she does work there and holds stuff. I don't know what, what that's involved. You'd have to get her on to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I want to get a few of those lads on. Yeah, on uh, you got Anna as well. She's a tattooist in there. She's a lovely woman. They're great crew of people in there. What's but her second name, Anna? Anna. Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure. She's Portuguese. It's Kitsune Art, I think, on, okay. on Instagram. But, uh, yeah, West End Art Gallery. But Lana is incredible. She's an amazing painter. Beautiful. And once I knew I was making an EP, she was always going to do the cover art, you know. And... I did. She was trying to like, like, because people commission her for a painting and they have these ideas and this is exactly what I want. And I didn't have any of this shit. I was just like, make it, go do it. Yeah, yeah. 
you know me well enough go do it but she actually really did want some direction okay for the way she works so we sat down and i was like right these are the things that i love go put them on my cover art so there's my dog there's like a fishing pole there's a banjo (laughs) there's just a load of random shit that are just things that i love in my life um so that's how it ended up it's just like uh go check it out it's there on my instagram or on spotify it's the cover art just random pictures on a beautiful magenta pink background and yeah the details of my face i think it's a great likeness of me um I th- just she did a great job the the original is in my studio at home i, I look at it every single day nice so uh yeah lan is incredible my best friend so going forward what's the plan for the future any gigs planned any future uh, eps or pla- plan for the future is to support my life by playing music that's the the goal ultimate um a smaller time uh coming up for me at the moment uh, this Sunday, the 10th of September, I'll be playing in the old 55 as part of the su- Sunshine Sessions. I suppose it'd be one of the last of the sun- Sunshine Sessions. Um, they might even have sunshine. Yeah, that'd be nice. Connor McMorrow, uh, DJ Green, he's been really nice to me the last couple of months. Uh, again, he would I didn't know this fella at all. He didn't know me, but he messaged me out of the blue and said, uh, this guy, Matthew Nightshade, recommended me to get you on the show. So come up like Sound. and play and i did and they i loved they loved it i loved it and so he's asked me back i think this would be my fourth or fifth time playing there for him as part of this show so it's really cool uh the good thing about this gig is there's like maybe eight or nine different acts on the whole night so oftentimes there mightn't be a big crowd there but it's just other musicians playing for other musicians yeah which i really love that you know it's the old 55, so it can be hit and miss on a night. You know, it's not always going to be full of people. It's a nice spot, actually, as well, though. Yeah, and I mean, um, I just love the, the very musicians. I've met some really cool people there that are also playing music, so I really like it. So that's the 10th of September. No, yeah, 10th of September on this Sunday coming in the old 55. That's the only gig I have confirmed coming up. But if anybody wants me to play music with them, I would love to do it. Mm-hmm. I also play a lot of trad music uh, with a with a few people, and recently started playing old time American music with uh, Colin Tierney and Kyle. Kyle, um, so yeah, I'm just open to just playing all sorts of music. Um, so yeah, trying to get better at the fiddle. That's a long term goal. This will be a life life project of mine, and. Yeah, like I said, to be able to justify not getting a real job for a while. That's yeah. the goal. That's the goal. Uh, now, I have no problem. Look, if I have to get a job in, in, in a year or two to support my playing music, that's fine. I will get a job in some factory and just clock in and clock out. Yeah, yeah. But uh, music's the, the thing. I'm all in with it. Like So... Uh, so- EP uh, special tunes it's yeah. on Spotify and it's on else. Spotify it will soon be on Bandcamp I was talking to some people down in West Cork and they were like is it on Bandcamp and I was like no so, <laughs> so you, you might actually get paid for that you put it on Bandcamp and people buy it and you ship it to them so it's actually <laughs> yeah. really good like, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it will be on it will be on everything it's on YouTube Spotify Bandcamp Deezer all the stuff um, you can buy a copy from me if you message me on Instagram and, and you want a copy of the CD I'll more than happily send it to you what's your Instagram? Uh, Owen Higgins 209 E-O-G-H-A-N uh, people get confused with the spelling of Owen often and yeah that's it the EP is there there's some stickers as well a little bit of merch I'm I, I'm not too crazy about the merch at the moment 
Um, but it's nice to have a CD to sell at the end of your show. If people want, people often do want to hear more. So it's nice to have something. It's nice to have it on Spotify and it's nice to have a CD. Not many people listen to CDs anymore, but it might just be a pretty little artwork on the mantelpiece yeah. or something like that. Let's go, go to the gig, buy the artist's CD. Yeah. And sure, if you want to listen on Spotify after that, that's it. Do that. But you It's know. a great way of supporting a small artist. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah. It's only a tenor. But it's that's a lot to me when I'm not earning money every day or every week, you yeah. know. Um, so yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Richard. Jesus, that was that flew. Felt like it flew. Yeah, it great fun. Sure. Just under an hour. Yeah, just right on.